Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Hi, Ebenezer family and friends. Pastor Brian here. Welcome to Ebenezer's Sunday worship service. A few announcements today. As we continue to adjust to the current reality with the relaxation of COVID restrictions, we realize that there isn't a common comfort zone. Some of you are comfortable without masks. Others prefer to use masks. I saw a poster in our Martinsville church that provided some good wisdom. Give grace, give distance. In this spirit, we are reserving our balcony for those wearing masks and wanting to social distance. Thanks for exercising love for one another daily, wherever you are. This last Sunday night, we had our first night of worship and we had a great time. The next night of worship will be on April 10th. Make sure to save the date. Our journey wall is taking shape as you contribute your memories. I encourage you to take a look at what we have experienced together and then add your significant memories. The forms are available at the journey wall, the coffee station, and on our website. We'll look forward to hearing from you. On Thursday, March 31st, we are going to have a family lunch. The focus of this lunch will be connection. Most of the staff will be here and we invite you to join us at 11.30 or as soon as you are able to. The cost for the lunch will be $5. It will be a great opportunity for us to build community. We need you to register so that we are able to prepare sufficient food. To register, text our church phone number 306-249-0084 with the message family or follow the link in our weekly email or our online bulletin or call the office. We'll look forward to hearing from you. On Sunday, April 3rd, we're planning a newcomers class and a baptism class. Plan to join us. That's it for me this morning. Looking forward to a great morning. Thank you very much. Please be seated. And for those going to Children's Church today to the rush, you can head off right away if you're ready to go. That would be fantastic. Uh, for those that might not know me, my name is Leighton Erickson. I serve as the lead pastor here, so I want to welcome those that are here in person and also those that are online. I want to welcome our guests today because I know we have a few and also those that are, are back for the first time. Every single week we see a few more people that are back, and so it's great to see you. I want to invite Joel and Caitlin Foth to join me on stage, if, if they would. And they're going to bring their son, David John Foth. And just as they're coming up, I'll just introduce them. Uh, Joel has been part of our Ebenezer family for about uh, four years now or so. And rumor has it that Caitlin was born somewhere in this building. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, in other words, she's attended here all her life. Um, 
This morning, they're going to be dedicating their firstborn son, David John Foth, who was born uh, on April 28th, uh, 2021. So it's great to have you here. Uh, Celebrating with them today are both sets of grandparents. So David and Jan Foth are here, and also Cam and Heather Roberts are here. As well, I just want to make special mention that great-grandparents John and Marlene Roberts are here, and they have not been in church for a while because John has been ill, and so it's, it's very, very good to see you. And they both come from huge families, and so I'm sure there are many other people that are here celebrating with them, and so if that's you, a special welcome to you. So, uh, Joel and Caitlin, this is a special moment in your lives today. A significant one is you publicly declare your desire to raise your son David in the ways of God. And so just I want to mention a few things. By standing on stage today, you're saying a few things to us as a church family. First of all, you're giving testimony to your own personal faith in Jesus Christ. And we already see that in in your lives, and we just want to affirm that in you. Uh, Secondly, you are accepting your role as stewards of your beautiful son, and you're acknowledging that he is God's first. Now, that is a, a hugely impactful statement that I've just made as you consider your son because he seems very much yours. I know you love him very much, but he is God's, and we need to remember that, and we're stewards of that. Uh, thirdly, you're committing to raise David in the ways of God, and you're, you're desiring for God's will to be carried out in his life. And we don't know what God's will is, so there's an act of faith in that. And then uh, fourthly, you're acknowledging the significant role that we, your church family, plays in the upbringing of your children and also in supporting you. And as your church family, we do want to partner with you. I know you have a great uh, physical family around you, but as a church family, we want to partner with you and encourage you in these things as well. So, Caitlin and and Joel, with those brief words, I just have four questions I want to ask you today before I pray for for David. So, first of all, do you give heartfelt thanks for this wonderful gift and blessing of your son, David John? Yes. Yeah, of course you do. Um, do you gladly accept the responsibility of raising David in the ways of the Lord and care for his physical and emotional needs? Yes. Uh, do you willingly now, willingly dedicate David John to the Lord, trusting that God will guard and guide and direct and protect his life in the future? And having dedicated David, will you also renew your marriage commitment to each other and your commitment to follow Jesus Christ as you model this walk for your son? Okay, so thank you. So normally, uh, I would hold the babies and pray for them. I always like to do that. And he's a... He's certainly uh, a cutie, but because of COVID and because there's also been kind of a flu bug flying around and it's impacted some of their family, I'm just going to stay arm's length today and know that God can uh, hear our prayers as we pray. So let me just pray. So uh, however you want to pray, there's in our tradition, some, sometimes we just raise our hands as an act of blessing or just saying we're praying. So whether you want to raise your hands or whether you want to, to, to have them as, a, as hands that receive from God, let's just pray together for this family. Uh, so, Father, thank you so much for the Foths, the Foths, and we thank you for their life and, and how you've already um, made yourself evident in their lives, in their journey, and you brought them together, and we thank you for the marriage that they have. And I thank you for this wonderful gift of David John. I know that he has brought much joy and will continue to bring much joy to them. And uh, this is a big decision today to say to you, God, that, that we are... We are saying that we are trusting you with our son. And that's scary, except that we know you. We know that you're a good God. We know that you love us. We know that you want 
to, to uh, what's best for us, and you care deeply, and you see all things. And so uh, here's our heart today, God, that your, your hand of blessing would be upon this family, that you would put your, your hand over young David, and you would help him to grow up in a way that he would come to know you as his personal Savior early in life, that he would walk with you all his life, that he would be used by you in great ways throughout his life. We pray these things. And we ask that you would give Caitlin and Joel just wisdom as they, as they raise uh, David, and that you would protect him in every way. And so, God, um, we, we ask that you would give them patience when they need patience, firmness when they need firmness, love when they need love. And then help us to remember that, that uh, this is, a, this is a, um, something we do together, that we need each other to raise uh, our families, and that even as David grows older, he's going to need good friends who are going to help him walk in the ways of God through his teenage years, that are, are friends beyond his parents and grandparents and relatives. And so may, may you help us be strong together, and may this church continue to grow as a family and in the ways of God. And so we commit them to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so just a couple things for you. I have a little Bible and also a little, a little dedication certificate. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, just before uh, Pastor Kel comes up to share from the Word today, I, I do have a few other significant announcements that I need to make. Now, in a few minutes, you're going to hear from our board chair, and he's going to make an announcement encouraging your participation in our Ebenezer Journey Wall. And so that's something that we have on the outside of this wall over here. And one of the reasons this is important is because when we take time to look back and recount the faithfulness of God in our lives, it gives us uh, strength, and it, and it strengthens our faith and helps us to trust God for the future. In fact, this recounting of God's faithfulness is written into the name of our church, Ebenezer, which literally means, thus far the Lord has been with us. And over the last uh, 65 years, this has been our story and testimony as our church. And I'm confident that over the next 65 years, this will continue to be our story uh, as a church. Now, as uh, most of you are well aware, uh, over the last couple of years, Ebenezer has experienced some significant change and disruption. Uh, beyond the global pandemic, which has impacted every single person and every single organization and church, um, we've had some changes internally here as well. So Brian Conrad, one of our longtime and valued staff members, has shifted roles and has moved to a half-time position. Our children's pastor, Lynette Sawatsky, sorry, Lynette Siwak, has, has been placed on extended leave. Uh, Joel Polvey has, has resigned from his role as youth pastor to pursue a counseling degree. And I have asked the board to begin a succession planning process to replace me as the lead pastor. So that's a lot of change in, in a short period of time for our church family. But God is, is faithful, and he continues to provide for us what we need. Now, <clears throat> uh, this coming week, uh, we, have, we have two high-quality young people coming to candidate for the position of youth and family ministry. Both of these people are recently are going to be graduating from Briarcrest College this spring. Uh, both have a passion for the Lord and ministry, and both are eager to find a church where they can pastor. Now, most of you should know the names by now, but just in case you don't, let me quickly introduce them to you. So the first is, is Will Dimitro. And uh, so Will grew up in Saskatoon. 
He attended this church and this youth group, and so most of us know him well, and he interned here as well. The second person is Ashton Feenstra, and she grew up in Lethbridge and was actively involved in her home church, which is Lethbridge Evangelical Free Church, an excellent church in, in Lethbridge. They are, are both being asked to be part of our family ministry pastoral team, and together they will co-lead Ebenezer's youth ministry, as well as Ashton will be, be supporting and helping out and leading some of the children's ministry as well. Now, we have a very full week planned for them this next week, and, and there are several touch points I want you to be aware of as a church family. Uh, first of all, for youth, you'll have the chance to meet them on your regular youth night. So that junior high, that would be Tuesday night at 7 p.m., and also uh, for senior high, that is Wednesday night. So make sure that if you're falling into those categories, or parents, if you know of people, make sure your kids show up. We want to hear from them. That's part of the candidating process. Uh, parents and anyone else who wants to come from the Ebenezer family, and so everyone is welcome, but we have a special event for you planned on Friday evening at 7 p.m. for you to get to know uh, Will and Ashland and find out their heart for, for ministry. Uh, you sponsors, there's something for you planned on Saturday morning. We've already talked to you about that. And children, you'll have a chance to meet Ashland Sunday morning as uh, she teaches during the rush time. Now, all these events will, will build towards a membership vote, which is going to happen next Sunday. And that will happen between the two services, and it'll be live. And so if you're watching online and you can't be here, you'll need to contact the church office and get a Zoom link so you could be able to vote as well for that process. Okay? So uh, I, I just want to say that this is a significant moment in the life of our church, and you, we want you to engage in it prayerfully. We want you to engage in it uh, physically so that we can seek God together on, on these things. Now, I wish that was the only change I wanted to talk about this morning, but it is not. And so the next piece of change, you already know, because I announced it on October at our annual general meeting, and so some of you weren't there, and so it might be a surprise to some of you, but I want to remind you that uh, Pastor Kel has been granted a sabbatical leave by our church board, and that leave is going to begin next month, uh, right after Easter, so mid-April all the way to mid-August. And even though we're going to greatly miss him, and his teaching, as a church family, we have experienced the value of sabbaticals, and we look forward to him uh, coming back energized, you know, ready to go. And so, uh, yeah, with his new bunny costume on, the Energizer bunny, and ready to go, and he can rival Will Dimitro in, in his energy. Uh, so that's coming up. Now, again, I, I wish that was the only other change I was going to talk about today, but it, it is not. Um, Ebenezer has, uh, over the years, has, has been blessed to have, and even right now, has been blessed to have several uh, faithful, seasoned, proven leaders on our staff team. Now, the problem with seasoned leaders is they eventually retire from ministry. And um, the seasoned and proven leader I want to talk about this morning is Kelly Weep. Uh, for about a year now, um, he and I have had an open dialogue about retirement since, since our ages are close and since we want to make sure that our timing would be helpful and not hurtful to the church family and to the leadership process. Uh, this January, Pastor Kelly finally gave me an official end date, and last month I shared this with our church board and our staff team, and now I want to share it with you today, that, uh, uh, that Pastor Kelly has let us know that 
on June, at the end of June 2022, so about three months away, he's going to retire from his ministry role here at Ebenezer. Now, this was a big decision for, for Kelly and Sandy. I hope you can appreciate that. Uh, they have been 35 years in full-time ministry, four years with, as missionaries with Youth for Christ, uh, six years as a youth pastor in Delmany, 20-ish years at West Portal Church here in Saskatoon, and then the last four and a half years with us here at Ebenezer. Now, um, although we are, are sad that we're losing um, Kelly from our staff team, I want to I spin that around a bit. And I, I'm not just trying to spin it. I just want us to look at a different side of it. We celebrate with him. I mean, this is a good thing. He, is, he has run the race. Uh, he has been faithful in ministry. And that is a wonderful accomplishment. And we need to celebrate that. Now, the good news is that Kelly and Sandy don't plan to leave here. Okay, this is their home church, along with their kids, I, I hope. Uh, they're playing drums and piano this morning. Uh, and so they're going to they're gonna just—they're going to stay here. They're just not going to be on the staff team anymore. And so it, it's, it's a good thing. So uh, for those that are out there, you're going, okay, so Pastor Cal is going to weigh in sabbatical. Pastor Kelly is, is leaving in June. That's two-thirds of the speaking team. Does that mean we get to listen to your soothing voice every single week, Pastor Layton? And uh, thankfully, and I'm not saying who the thankfully is for, uh, no, you do not have to do that. Uh, God is faithful, and He continues to provide exactly what we need in the future, just as He has in the past. So we will be shifting and reallocating some of the roles of our existing staff team. Uh, Pastor Chet is already in the process of taking on some more, uh, a more of an executive role on our staff team. And you can expect to see him up on stage and speaking more often than he has in the past. As well, uh, we, we have hired Pastor Wes uh, as a college and career pastor, and we hired him part-time, so half-time. And we are going to be moving him to a full-time role on Ebenezer's staff team, and he will be taking on some of the responsibilities of, of speaking. So if you know those two people, uh, you, you'll know that this is going to be, uh, that this is just seamless. It just seems like it, it fits in. And so I just want to remind you that, that although that's a lot of change to process, God is faithful. And just as he's, as he's provided for us in the past, I'm confident he's going to continue to provide exactly what we need moving forward in the future. Now, as I said, our staff team has known about this for a while, and we had a wonderful week of planning together about two weeks ago or so. And, and I just want to tell you that in, in our minds, we're going to continue to be forward-focused. This is what we're going to do. And we have, we have a plan that we're going to be laying out in terms of our focus over the next 12 months, given that we're coming out of a pandemic, and we're excited to be able to lay this out to you in the weeks to come. But we're going to continue to be forward-focused on these things. So, so for us, I want you to be aware of this. This is not a, um, well, it, it could be a sad time, but it shouldn't be a sad time. We should celebrate when people have finished their work well and we celebrate with, with Kelly. So we'll have a chance to more formally thank him. I know he's in the room today. Could we just thank him right now? Now, I want to invite up Myron Johnson, our board chair, and he's going to make a brief announcement regarding our journey wall, and then I'll pray, and then we'll have Pastor Cal come up. So, I wish that was uh, the only change that we had to announce this morning. 
No, I'm Myron Johnson, and I have the privilege of serving on the board here at Ebenezer. Uh, just following up from what Leighton said, as you know, we are working through a succession planning process, and as part of this process, we introduced to you the journey wall a couple weeks back. The journey wall is a storyline of where we've come from as a church, a story of how God has worked in our lives as people who are the church. I, I just want to encourage you that if you haven't posted something on the wall yet, a memory or significant moment, maybe a turning point in your life, an Ebenezer event that was memorable to you, a retreat maybe, or a sermon that significantly impacted you, uh, take time to do this. There's going to be forms that are going to be right outside the back door as you leave the sanctuary this morning uh, with instructions on them, so we encourage you to participate in this. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much, Myron. You should be very thankful for our board. They are a great group of people and are working very hard in this season as well. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and, and I'm going to actually walk through a prayer. Um, I don't know how many people use prayer books in their life. Uh, this is one that I use often, um, try to use it daily, but it's prayers for today. And there's just always these wonderful prayers in here. And every once in a while, uh, one of the prayers that's in here just just seems like it just resonates deep in my heart. And I like using a prayer book because it helps me pray and think differently than I might normally think myself. And so if you haven't ever thought about that, maybe you can find yourself a prayer book if you struggle with your, your own prayer life. And one of the greatest prayer books is, is just our Bible and the Psalms, if you ever pray through the Psalms and the Scripture. But uh, this is a prayer of, of surrender today, so would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to read uh, some of the prayers that are in that section here as our prayer today. So God, we come to you and we just say that we love you. Um, we love you because you hear and answer our prayer. You care for us. Uh, we love you because of who you are. You are the, the great God who uh, is sovereign in all things. It's unbelievable that you have preordained and you, you know what you need to put in place for your kingdom to move forward. That includes us as a church family. It includes us as individuals, no matter what we're going through. We trust you, God. And so uh, we also submit to you. We surrender to you as our Lord and Savior. And as, as Peter says in, in, his, in his first letter, um, you know, that Christ Jesus, that may I prepare my mind for action and be self-controlled setting my hope fully on the grace to which you have given to me at your coming. And so, God, our Father, uh, help us through this day so that we might live and bring help to others. Help us to, to bear your name and to bring glory to your name and to bring joy to those that love us and love you. Father, in particular, I pray that you would help us to be cheerful when things go wrong in our life. Help us to persevere when things are difficult. Help us to be settled when things are irritating. And I don't know all that's happening in individual lives, but it's clear what is happening in the world today. And there are many ways that we can, uh, we can be concerned and we can um, want to give up. But God, help us to persevere even when we see the, the wars around us, even when we, we can feel the, the tensions, even though when we can feel you know, the 
drifting away from you, that help us to be faithful in these things. Father, enable us to um, be helpful to those in difficulties, to be kind to those in need, to be sympathetic to, to those whose hearts are sore and sad. And God, it's easy to be self-focused in life. It's easy just to look at what's happening in our lives, but give us eyes for, for others. And you have given us means, and sometimes those means are simply a smile, a hello, a word of encouragement, um, a letter. Sometimes they're a hug, whatever they are. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's a meal, God. But help us to be able to do what is right so that we can um, move forward together and we can encourage the body. And especially when we see some of the challenges around the world, help us to be generous with our time and energy and resources in every way. God, grant us that uh, we might not lose our tempers, that nothing will take away our joy, that we may not ruffle our peace, that nothing may make us bitter toward anyone or you. And we ask these things for your love's sake. Um, and, we, and so God, help us to, to be people that are self-controlled in every way. And that prayer was by William Barclay way back in the 19, uh, 1970s. And then I want to close with one last prayer from John Wesley, uh, written in the 1700s. And he just said, Lord, I commit today to do all the good I can, by all the means I can, in all the ways I can, in all the places I can, at all the times I can, to all the people I can, as long as I ever can. And may that prayer be the prayer of our heart in this season, God. Would you fill us with your love and grace and speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's a lot to absorb already for one morning, uh, so I hope we can just kind of almost sit back a little bit and maybe we'll get through a message that somehow and maybe God will be able to continue to speak to us through that. Uh, my opportunity to say good morning and welcome and thank you for being with us, whether you're here in person, I'm looking at you now, uh, whether you're live streaming or watching a recorded video at some other time. I was reminded actually just this past week of, of this new opportunity that's being created for us as we live stream because my daughter in Ottawa, my oldest daughter Rachel, uh, often uh, watches the video of the sermon. And so Rachel, if you're watching, dad says hi. Uh, we miss you. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. If you don't know me, my name is Cal. I'm part of the staff team here, and it's my privilege to share with us this morning as we continue our series in 2 Peter. And this morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter 1, verses 12 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, open to that passage now, and this is what we're going to be working our way through this morning. Now, Pastor Leighton got us started a couple weeks ago by introducing Peter's letter to us. It's Peter's second letter to us. And in, this, in the opening chapter of 2 Peter, Peter's going to lay out the foundation for what he feels is most needed for his audience, his readers, primarily Gentile Christians who have been scattered throughout Asia Minor, this is modern-day Turkey, who are undergoing great persecution from the outside, which he addresses in his first letter, and now here in his second letter is being uh, under persecution from, not, not quite from within, but from, from a, a closer realm around them, primarily in the area of false teachers and false teachings. Now, it's under these circumstances, Peter reminds them that despite everything going on around them and even within them, God 
has given them everything they need. God has given them power to live a godly life. God has given them the absolute certainty of his promises. And he has allowed us to be partakers or participants in his very divine nature. And then Pastor Kelly continued last week, giving us a challenge uh, uh, to grow and mature in our faith. In fact, it wasn't just a challenge. The way, I, I appreciate the way Pastor Kelly said it. He said, as a Christ follower, growth, spiritual growth, is actually not an option. God expects us to grow. And when we grow, when we grow spiritually, when we grow in character and in our actions, we become useful and fruitful, and we have the assurance of an eternity with Jesus. Now, before we get into this morning's passage, let me remind us that we've titled this series of messages Unshakable, and Unshakable for a reason. Let me ask you, what in your life is truly unshakable? What is truly unshakable? You see, if nothing else, the events of throughout the world over the last 24 months have shown that there is nothing much, if anything at all, that is truly unshakable. The pandemic, the, the economy, our inflation rates right now, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and so on, have shown that really, when you think about it, what is unshakable in our lives? What is unshakable in the world? Not our health not our finances, not even our relationships. And right now, maybe not even our way of life. It seems that everything we've invested over the past years, perhaps even decades, is in question. In my opinion, this time has revealed actually to us how shakable our lives are. But yet we all long for that unshakable foundation upon which to build. Again, I appreciated how Pastor Kelly challenged us last week, asking us if we were working, what we were working hard at. Are we working hard at growing our businesses or establishing our financial security? Are we working hard at our leisure activities, but not working hard at growing in our spiritual walk with Jesus in relationship with Him? You see, for many, and maybe for you, these pursuits, those pursuits in this quest for what is truly unshakable have failed and have failed miserably. So where is this so-called unshakable foundation of life found? Well, that's what Peter is going to get into as he continues to lay a foundation to address the issue of false teachers and false teachings. So let me begin by reading for a 2 Peter 1, 12 to 15. Here's what, this is what Peter writes. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, referring to the things that he just talked about, which I've just reviewed. So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, from these words, we see that Peter was very aware that his life was going to end soon. I don't know if this was a message or an impression from God. I don't know if he was just aware of his circumstances. Remember that Peter was writing this letter from prison under the persecution of Nero, and he knew likely he would at best be executed soon. 
So one would expect, or one would believe, that if Peter knew this was his last communications with this group of Christians or Christ followers, he would take the time to probably do two things. One, he would share his heart for them. And two, he would reveal what he believed to be the most important thing. And and that's what Peter does. You see, after writing specifically on the ideas that God has given us everything we need to live a godly and a God-pleasing life, giving us, giving us a challenge to grow spiritually in our walk with Jesus, Peter now affirms his readers that this indeed is, is what they've been doing. He says, their faith has been strong. Their faith has been growing. They've done well to resist these false teachers. Th- that's his heart for them. He wants to acknowledge and praise and celebrate that with them, an affirmation and an encouragement to keep on the path they're going. But then this paragraph also reveals to us what's most important to Peter. And it is this. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. See, it seems to me that the most important thing to Peter, the foundation upon which he longs for the believers to continue building their lives, the one single thing that builds an unshakable foundation is truth. It's truth. Truth and the knowledge of truth. If you go back to uh, the first few uh, verses of Second Peter, Peter writes in Second Peter 1 verse 2, he says, you know, kind of a salu- in his opening salutation, his opening greeting, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, if you look back at all of the New Testament letters, every single one of them, most of them will begin with this type of salutation of grace and peace. Grace and peace is a greeting in a letter that was quite commonly used. Paul used it in all of his letters. Peter also used it in his first letter. But this is the only time, the only time this greeting is accompanied by the concept of the knowledge of God and Jesus. In essence, essence, the knowledge of truth. The word knowledge is used six times in this letter, and it's used five times in the first eight verses. The word truth is used twice. It is truth and the knowledge of truth that forms a foundation, forms the only foundation of an unshakable life. And it is truth and the knowledge of truth that spurs Peter's heart to write this final letter to the scattered and persecuted believers. So Peter begins with the necessity of truth. What would you say to someone or to others, those you love, if you were in a similar situation? There was a movie, I think back in the early 90s, called My Life, where Michael Keaton plays a soon-to-be father who is given the news that he has an incurable form of cancer and will likely die before his son is born. So he spends the last days and months, weeks of his life, recording messages for his unborn child teaching him different things as he goes through his life, but really, in essence, sharing his heart with his unborn child and sharing with him what he feels to be most important. I clearly remember, 
I clearly remember what both my mom and dad said to me in their last days when they knew that their time on earth was coming to an end. Some of it's quite personal. I won't share them with you here. But one thing my mom shared with me, the last time I visited with her physically on this side of heaven, was that she was proud of me. And she was proud of our kids. Lately, because, well, my, my parents passed away not too long ago, and perhaps it's because I'm just simply getting older. I've often wondered, what would I say to those around me if I knew my time on earth was, was ending? What would be from my heart? And what would be most important? So let me pause and just ask you to ask yourself that same question. If you knew when your life would end or you knew that it was coming to an end and you had a final chance to communicate something with those that you loved, those who are around you, what would be the heart of that message and what would be the contents of that communication? I wonder how often we think about a question like that. But if you stop and think about it, how you answer that question is important because it will reveal what you believe to be most important about life. Of all the things you might communicate, where would truth and the knowledge of truth be? Would that be on your list? For Peter, truth and the knowledge of truth was a priority because it is upon truth that we can build an unshakable faith, an unshakable life. So my first point for us this morning is simply this, the necessity of truth. What would a world look like without truth? What would a life without truth, how would that be lived? You see, we all live in a way based on what we believe to be true. The choices we make, the, even right down to the attitudes and thoughts that we have, are all based on what we believe to be true. And as I look over the last several years, the last couple of years, much of the division and even the conflict we've seen, whether that be between nations or between churches or within churches or among family members, have because there's been an absence of truth. It's been fed by a lack of truth. Truth regarding health mandates or 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 vaccines, or, or whatever. Truth regarding the motives and the actions of one country or another. But even beyond that, even beyond the last few years, this concept, this idea, this acceptance of an absolute truth, that there, there's something in this world that must be true for all people in all places at all times, has been under attack. Truth at best is relative. Relative to each person relative to each situation or each circumstance, each culture, relative to what someone thinks or believes about a situation or how they ought to live their lives, who, how they should act and so on. But, but here's the problem. You see, if all truth is relative, then there's really no truth at all. If everything is true, then nothing is true. And without truth, without something that is absolutely true, there's no way anyone can build upon an unshakable foundation. 
So Peter begins here by telling us there's a necessity for truth. Now Peter goes on to give his readers and to give us two key sources of truth. The truth that we need to grow in knowledge and practice of. And he continues with these, these words. 2 Peter 1, uh, 16 to 18 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now remember that Peter is going to continue in chapter 2 dealing with false teachers and false teaching. And two key areas in which Peter needs to confront. First, Pastor Kelly referenced this last week, was this idea that because salvation or the path to a right relationship with God was provided by God through Jesus Christ, that it was a gift of grace, free gift of grace, false teachers then were suggesting that Christ followers could live in any way they wanted. We've already been saved. It's a free gift anyway. So once you've got it, Live any way you want. I think that the phrase uh, Pastor Kelly used was, it was your uh, fire insurance, is the way he put it, right? Saves you from one day. And those who fell for this teaching were primarily indulging in sexual sin and materialism, allowing their sexual urges to drive them and spending money in all kinds of extravagant and unnecessary ways. That first area of false teaching is linked very closely to the second area that Peter is going to address. And it was this teaching, this false teaching, that Christ would actually not return to earth. And that everything that they were living is, is all that there was. Jesus wasn't coming back. Jesus wasn't going to fulfill his promise to return. The church wasn't going to be taken. Uh, he wasn't going to come back to claim his bride, the church. Now remember that Peter uh, wrote this letter probably around between 60 and 65 uh, A.D. About 30 years would have passed since Jesus left the earth, left his disciples and left his followers with the promise that one day he will return. Now you can imagine 30 years can seem like a very long time. There's a joke about the Toronto Maple Leafs that you know, there's a whole generation that has gone by since the Leafs last won the cup. And they're probably not going to see that for a while yet. Sorry, Greg, and other Leaf fans, but I don't know if that's the truth or if that's just a prayer of mine. <laughs> anyway, it's been 30 years or so since Jesus made this promise. And here is this generation of believers, many who have, would have witnessed that or at least have heard stories of that, and saying, like, it's been 30 years. Like, is he coming back or isn't he? And 30 years later, it's like, he's probably not coming back. He said he was going to come, and maybe they thought in a few weeks, a few months, a few, 30 years now, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. He's not going to return. So, so why bother living in a way that anticipates his return? This was the second false teaching. If Jesus isn't returning, if the life that we're living is, is all that we are living for, then why not live for personal pleasure? Why not indulge all of your own extravagant desires? So in the context of the letter, Peter focuses on this false teaching, this idea that Jesus isn't returning. And so he combats falsehood 
with truth. And he begins with this, that Jesus himself is the person of truth. Jesus didn't simply speak what is true. He is what is true. And because Jesus is truth, he will, as promised, return. Pastor Layton, again, touched on it in the first message. We have the promises of God. And they are wholly reliable. The first unshakable foundation of truth is the person of truth. It's in, in Jesus Christ. Now, to make this point, Peter goes back to a significant event in the life of Jesus. Perhaps the most significant. His transfiguration. Peter was one of only three eyewitnesses to this amazing event. James and John were the others. And because Peter himself had seen this with his own eyes and he had heard God's voice with his own ears, there's a level of authority to his words. Now, the transfiguration is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. So let me just read for us Mark's account. Here, the way Mark uh, um, uh, expresses it, he says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now this event is so full of theological significance and richness, we, we could probably do a whole series on it. But let me just try to explain how this impacts this false view that Jesus was not going to return, these false teachings and false teachers. The first thing we need to know is that the transfiguration of Jesus occurs right after Jesus predicts his own death. Okay. The disciples were very troubled by this news. Peter even goes so far as to say, no, may it never be so. He doesn't want this to happen. He actually rebukes Jesus for predicting his death, that he would one day leave. And what does Jesus do? He says, oh, hold on, Peter. He says, actually, he, didn't, he wasn't that nice about it. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter had fallen into the trap of, of, of not understanding what Jesus' purpose was. Jesus then goes on to call his disciples together, and even the crowd, and he explains to them that those who want to be his disciples must deny themselves and follow him, that daily sacrifice. That I would actually argue this day, they need to grow every day spiritually in our faith. And he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels, when I return. Then he is transfigured. Peter, James, and John witness to this. And it is in this context that God the Father, in an audible voice, says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. If Jesus said he's coming back, he's coming back. The source of absolute truth is God himself. It is his character, it is his nature, it is his ways that define actually what is true. God doesn't just make up in his own mind what is true and what isn't true. It's his very character and nature that defines truth. 
And Colossians tells us that Jesus is the Son, the image of the invisible God, and the fullness of God lives in him. So for this reason, Jesus also does not only speak truth, he is truth. And if we want to build on an unshakable foundation of truth, we must learn to grow in our knowledge of him. We must continue to passionately seek to know Jesus. We must be in relationship with him, and we must grow in our knowledge, our love, and obedience to him. Jesus is a person of truth. An unshakable foundation is built on him and him alone. You know, there's lots of interesting books out there about how to build your life, written by the Dalai Lama or Oprah Winfrey or other philosophers and thinkers of this world. It won't be unshakable, I'll tell you that. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Peter goes on with the second source of truth. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, he says, we also have, so not only do we have the person of Jesus, Peter says we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So not only do we have the person of Jesus Christ as truth, we also have the written word of God as truth. And the second unshakable foundation is the word of truth, Scripture. Now again, we take a whole message or, seri- message or series of messages just to develop everything that's in this passage. But again, let's just take an overview of the key points. Peter is telling his readers that Scripture, now in his day, it would have been the Old Testament Scriptures, were completely reliable, completely authoritative, completely truthful in all matters of life. And why? Because Scripture is not merely the words, the thoughts, the interpretation, the wisdoms, or even the musings of man. Rather, they are the very words of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. The theological doctrine of this is the doctrine of inspiration. And our own Ebenezer affirmation of faith expresses it this way. He says, we believe that the Bible is the revealed Word of God, fully and verbally inspired, written under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We believe it is without error in the original manuscript and is true and trustworthy in all that it asserts. It has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Scripture is a foundation of truth, an unshakable foundation, because it is literally God's word to us, written through human authors, but under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. In all matters of life and living, in every issue that we face, we must look to the word of God. You know, today, we have more sources of information than ever before. But lost in all of that information is truth. Where is truth? All sorts of decisions and choices have been made based on false information, based on lies, wrong interpretation and opinions. How about making our decisions on choices based on truth? For many years now, many years actually, Christian leaders have lamented the decline of what they call biblical literacy. 
I remember this term being brought to my attention maybe 30 years ago. You see, the problem is either we don't know what the Word of God says, or more recently, the problem is, is that we don't know how to interpret the Word of God, how to properly interpret it. So we start to make the Word of God fit what we want to believe instead of making what we believe consistent with what the Word of God says. If the Word of God is a source of truth, we must, we must make it a priority to, to know it, to learn to interpret it, understand it, and most importantly, to live it out in our lives, to walk in obedience to it. Now again, to remind you that in Peter's context, he's setting up an argument here against these false teachers, specifically on the issue of whether or not Jesus is going to return. And if Jesus is going to return, then Christ's followers need to live their life in accordance with that truth. And there's a whole parable on that. Jesus teaches a parable about the ten virgins, whether they're prepared for his return or not. I'm not going to get into that, but you can reference that on your own. But if Jesus is going to return, then we need to live our life in accordance with that truth. We need to be prepared. We need to, to grow. And Peter's call is them is to grow and to mature in their faith. But if Jesus isn't going to return, then, yeah, I guess, feel free to live in a whole different way. Promote those sexual pleasures or, 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 or don't have any restraint in how you spend materialistically and selfishly. Because truth matters. Truth matters. A few weeks ago, <laughs> I saw an article in one of my news feeds that was headlined this way. Teen ate bad takeout, had both legs and all his fingers amputated. How many of you saw that, that article? Yeah, some of you did. According to this story, there was a 19-year-old college student in the USA who, after eating leftover food, experienced vomiting, fever, and shortness of breath, uh, and had to go to the hospital. In the hospital, it was, well, I, let, me, let me get the story in order here so I get this right. Um, he ate bad Chinese food. Now, the story went on to say that these leftovers, because they had been improperly stored, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, leftover rice and noodles, it, they were prone to a certain type of bacteria that causes toxins, and eventually a type of septic shock uh, got him, which led to the need to amputate this young man's fingers and legs. Now, I don't mean to make light of the situation. It, it's serious. Um, but if you don't know me, or you couldn't guess, I've been known to eat Chinese food once in a while. Actually, when you think about it, anything I cook, isn't it Chinese food? <laughs> anyway. Make lasagna, it's Chinese food, right? So. <laughs> anyway, I read this article, and for the next few days, I, I, I kid you not, I was absolutely paranoid about the leftovers in my house. I smelled everything two, three, four, five times. I threw things out probably way sooner than I would normally had I not read this article. I lived based on what I thought was true. This had happened. Noodles and rice were prone to a certain type of bacteria. And so I, I completely adjusted the way I did things at home based on what I thought was true. Now, several days later, another story came out that said that the original story that I had read actually wasn't true that it wasn't bad Chinese food that had led to this person's condition, rather a very rare but extremely severe complication from a blood infection that is not foodborne, and there were no cases of his condition ever spreading because of food. It was a unique kind of 
a, a, a situation of just a bunch of bad circumstances. Well, you can imagine the relief when I found out that the truth, how my life adjusted back to what was based on truth. You see, truth matters. Now, I'm going to have to fact-check that second article to make sure it was actually true. I'm going to get myself into this cycle of driving myself crazy. But You see, in a world filled with lies and deception, in our tendency to interpret wrongly or selfishly even, we must strive to understand and live according to truth. And, and truth is only found in the Word of God. You know, other books, other philosophies, other writers might contain some facts, but truth is only found in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus. And see, we know Satan's tactics are to replace truth with lie. And often he gets us into these cycles of lie, but, but I, his, his strategy is quite subtle. He doesn't just take a lie and jam it in our face and expect us to believe it. Often that, that's too, an ex, too much of an extreme, right? We, we, we don't often fall for that. But I think that there's other layers, I'll, let me call them layers of, of tactic that Satan uses, and sometimes even in our own minds that, that, that we begin this process. And, and, and it's, it's much more subtle. And to me, I think the two greatest threats to truth, at least in the early stages, are ignorance and tolerance. You see, when we don't know truth, ignorance, or when we know the truth, but we accept something less than the truth, tolerance, we start moving away from the path of truth and the foundation of truth. It was in my third year of Bible college that I began to sense God calling me to serve him in a church kind of pastoral context. And at that time, a verse stood out to me, which I've adopted as my life verse. Um, at the time, it was written from a, an older Paul to a young Timothy, and for many years I clung on to being that young Timothy, but now I realize maybe I'm more of the older Paul. Um, but it's, it's written this way. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Do yourself, sorry, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So how can you build your life, your thoughts, your beliefs, your attitudes, your actions? How can you build your life on truth? Well, let's start by showing you a quick video. Do we have that ready to go on how we probably shouldn't do it? Take a look at this. I just saw that this morning, Ashley said, i got to conclude that. That's pretty cute. We stand in front of our Bibles and just hope it kind of enters in, right? No. I, I mean, just simply start by reading it, studying it. Make it a priority to just read a little bit. And, and here, ask these questions. God, who are you? What are you revealing about yourself through your word? God, uh, who is Jesus? Who, who am I? based on the truth of your word. How should I live? What do you need me to adjust in my life based on, on what you're teaching me here? Dig deep into God's word. Make it a priority in your life. Because our second unshakable foundation is, is the word of truth, the word of God.
As Peter continues to lay the foundation of his letter to combat these false teachers and false teachings all around his audience, his heart, as revealed to us in his final words, revealed to us what's most important to him. Truth. Truth. The necessity of truth, person of truth, and the word of truth. It is upon truth and only upon truth that we can build an unshakable foundation for all matters and all circumstances and all situations and all issues of life. And so in our pursuit of spiritual growth and maturity, we must learn to be grounded in truth. In closing, let me go back to the context that Peter was writing it. Peter was reminding his readers that the return of Jesus was an absolute truth, an absolute certainty. And while the Christ followers in Asia Minor at that time were walking and well-grounded in truth, Peter encourages them to continue growing in their faith by building on the foundation of truth. Well, let's jump ahead 2,000 years. As far as I know, Jesus has not yet returned. So how are you living your life? Are you like those early believers, those early Christ followers, growing and building your life upon the foundation of truth? Or are you living for your own desires and your own priorities and your own pleasures and your own goals? Are you working hard at your kingdom? Or are you fully committed to his? You see, what we believe about the future determines how we'll live in the present. Amanda, you and the worship team can pop on back up here. And as, way, as they make their way forward, let me encourage you to take a few moments to respond this way. Knowing that Jesus is going to return, that's a fact, that's the truth. How are you living today in the light of that? I've thrown some questions up here that I'll, I'll, I'll read. But maybe just our response is simply to say, God, what would you say to me about these things? That you would have open hearts and minds to what God would reveal to you as you listen to his voice. And if God challenges you, encourages you, rebukes you to make changes in your life, maybe that's the starting place. Is that simply you'll make that adjustment to him? Are you living for yourself or for him? What's your purpose in life? What are your priorities? Are you fully committed to the process we call spiritual growth or discipleship in your own life and in the lives of those around you? Are you fully committed to your kingdom? Are you building on the foundation of truth? Is your life consumed by the pursuit of Jesus and God's word or your own things? As we respond in this song, have an open heart and ask God to speak to you. Also remind you that as we sing this final song, we do have a time of ministry prayer that we've set aside. And so if you've come this morning with something on your heart and mind and you would like to have someone pray with you for that, you can come to the front. We'll have leaders on both sides here that would be happy to pray with you. If you know that there's somebody sitting beside you or near you or anywhere in this place, um, and you know that they, they could use prayer, just, just make your way over. Put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, I'm praying for you for that situation. This is part of the privilege we have as a family, is that we can uplift one another and carry each other's burdens through prayer. So as Amanda leads us, let's take time not only to listen to God for how he would speak to us, but let's also uh, be the family and, uh, and be in prayer for one another. Amanda. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.